Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 160, 168, madness Graham, crazy, your madness. voice is gone, it is, my name is Danny Murray and I am extremely raspy this evening, what's that from, <sighs> living hard Graham, living hard, <laughs> in part leash, living hard in part leash, shouting at the wind, trying, <laughs> trying to blend into the local scenery, shouting down at the there. traffic to get, to get to work, that actually probably is how I've done it, or singing Neil Diamond, that's definitely, that's definitely played, especially now because the Christmas albums are in rotation you oh. see, I was given uh, the Odeste Fidelis fucking welly on the way up here today. I've no idea. Who's that? It's the Latin version of uh, Oh Come All You Faithful. You absolutely uncultured swine. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, how are you? Good. I'm great, yeah. All good. Excellent, excellent, I'm excellent. I'll say, as everyone's um, starting to ask. Yeah, I'll say. yeah. It, it's like, that. that is the matter you all say. No. So you looking forward to it? You have much time off? <laughs> yeah, I love What will you be doing for it? I have loads of time off this year. Oh, I can't I've worked wait, all other Christmases in the past, so I demanded it off this year. Demanded it? Got it. <laughs> Put in a polite email asking for it. That's yeah, what yeah. you did. Exactly. Please. Um, yeah, it is It is that time of year, and we hope you are all set, lads, but that time of year means there's plenty of traditions, and we have a very strong Christmas tradition at this point, yes. where we bring our favourite person back to the podcast, Mr. Paul Howard. <laughs> our favourite well, person. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Our best Christmas of. would yeah. not be Christmas. If I wasn't driving up here, <laughs> listening to Bob Dylan's greatest Christmas hits, <laughs> seeing Fitzpatrick's castle all lit up with lights, yeah. it's lovely, isn't it? The turrets, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, you can see it from the bottom yeah. of the hill there. You yeah. know, and, last um, year uh, you came up with loads of research and loads of stuff. You had, you wanted to get stuff off your chest yeah, last year. Last year was, well, was I, a heavy one. Yeah, I, I stepped on a on a on a mine last year <laughs> on, on Twitter, uh, and I managed to stay clear of it this year. What happened was uh, somebody somebody had said on Twitter like what's the what's the most pointless hill you were ever prepared to die on? Yeah. And I said Fairy Tale of New York isn't a, a, isn't just a Christmas song or isn't strictly a Christmas song. I'm getting the Vietnam flashbacks already. <laughs> yeah. And it went viral, right? So uh, Richard Osman, the comedian, uh, retweeted it and said, "There's something clearly wrong with this man." <laughs> and then and that that invites all these, you know, uh, like hardcore Irish people living in England. I mean, it is like, you know, to 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 say to say you don't like Fairy Tale in New York, for instance, is. Uh, it, I mean, it's a surefire way to start a fight with an Irishman, yeah. like, you know. It's because it's Shane McGowan, yeah? Maybe, yeah. And I think every people associate it, certainly in my generation, with their kind of childhood or teenage years, it was a, it was a, it's a really, really fond Christmas song. And it's a very Irish Christmas song. And even now, even though some of the lyrics in it are actually quite politically incorrect, uh, people are defending it really, uh, really vigorously. Yeah. So I said this thing last year, and um, of course, I, I was talking about it in the context of a, a, a pointless hill I was prepared to die on. And then suddenly I had like thousands of people piling in on me saying, you know, how can you say that? And, uh, and then you ugly bastard and you all that kind of thing as well. You know, I had to change my profile picture on Twitter to find a nicer one of myself, you know. Yeah, ugly bastard. I missed that right one. Bastards. I missed that one where you were having dinner. You got rid of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they said, um, they, so, th so this went on for about two or three weeks. And all I was saying was, I love Fairy Tale in New York, but I don't think it's a Christmas song like, like Slade, 
is a Slade's yeah. Christmas song, or yeah. you know, or uh, Paul McCartney simply having one for <clears throat> Christmas time. It's a it's a different one. So I was making the point that you could listen to that any time of year. You mm. know, I said you could put that on a summer barbecue. Like, you know, yeah. you know, so I put it to the test this year. We were having a World Cup barbecue down in, in the house. We have a house in Avoca. And uh, so everyone was like, uh, I can't remember. I think England were playing that day. And uh, get the barbecue going, you know, the burgers and the sausages and everything, you know. And then I thought, I'm going to put this theory to the test. So I stick on Fairy Tale in New York, you know, the opening yeah. line. Do, 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 do. Everyone, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> So my, my theory was was blown out of the water. So oh, there's it. been lots of talk in the last couple of days. Did you turn it off or did it play the full song at the bar- summer barbecue? Um, no. I mean, it was about 30 degrees, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and still, so, uh, yeah, it was Christmas Eve, babe, in the yeah. drunk tank. And uh, it actually never sounded more like a Christmas song. <laughs> Played it in June. <laughs> <laughs> I was flipping sweating, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we were all burned in the sun, smelling of buttermilk, you know, and the sausages going, and you know, England on, and everything, the t-shirts and shorts, and then and then Shane McGowan, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so this year there's been all this talk the last few days about whether it should be it should be banned as a song, yeah. you know, in this era of Me Too and wokeness. Uh, and I've just stayed out of it. Like I, yeah. I actually I saw a few people going, oh, I never really liked it as a song. And I'm just looking at Twitter going, silly boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think it should well, be censored? <laughs> like, well, we're going to drag I, you into a poll. <laughs> I'm against, I'm against cens- censorship as much as possible. I, mm. I, I think we should, as, we should censor as little as we possibly can. Yeah. I don't, I don't, mm. certainly don't agree with but it's, diluting it's, culture for taste. Um, mm. You know, I, there's a movement in America now. They want to, um, they want to get all of the Mark Twain books. They don't want to get Huckleberry Finn, principally, and take the N word out of it. And yeah. it's, you know, you're you're diluting classic literature to suit this year's tastes, which might not necessarily be the taste in ten years' time. Ten, or yeah, 20 years absolutely. Time. I think, I think That's the problem, and you you can't understand. It, it, it's impossible to get an understanding of 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 those times, the mm. times of, of of black slavery in America, unless you can read the full and yeah. unexpurgated version of Huckleberry Finn. Why would you send? What you're not you're not only taking a word out, you're actually, you know, you're censoring thoughts and you're sanitizing the time. And so now we, you wouldn't be able to look back and say, God, they were terrible times if we sanitize everything to make it not as bad as it really was. Absolutely. I think the, the uproar was this time around over. It was started, I think, uh, 2FM DJ Owen McDermott tweeted the views of two of his colleagues who were gay mm. and they find the word hurtful. And he was basically saying, you know, it's like radio edits that have the fuck in it and arse in it and it's always mm. censored. And he's like, why, why shouldn't we censor this? Um, I get what he's on about in terms of the conversation with his friends, but in my own opinion, and or, so in my own experience of having a disability, there's so many words that I don't like, mm. but I just have to get on with it. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm not... I, uh, like... Th- um, there's actually I do bring it up sometimes on the podcast a friend of mine listens to the show Donald has a child um, with dwarfism mm. and 
the dwarf uh, pe- little people and dwarfism they don't like the word midget yeah and it's literally the n-word to yeah, them yeah. and it's yeah. really highly offensive yeah so i'm on a campaign in my head and on twitter i seen carl frampton call somebody a midget so i yeah. don't follow them do you know what i mean yeah, i'm on my yeah, own little yeah. thing yeah but i can see where people are coming from when they don't where they're offended minorities are offended by words but i just think Sometimes you might with with this example um, for Fairy Tale New York. I just think you, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's fictional characters. I, like it's, I, I, it's art. I just, yeah, exactly. I, I always feel that thoughts are, thoughts are more dangerous than words, and sometimes we get hung up on. You know, I know word, there's a lot of words are loaded, like the N word, for instance, and and then it, like you said, the word midget. You know, but there are a lot of people of of an older generation who don't get. The, the, the updates, right? So Absolutely. it's like when you get your updates mm. on the phone and suddenly all this new software comes in. That's what life is like now. Language is changing so quickly and offence is driving a lot of the changes in language. So words that were perfectly okay to use this time last year aren't okay to use this year. And there are reasons for that in a lot of cases and then there aren't reasons in a lot of other cases. I see the um, people for the ethical treatment of animals are, are campaigning now this is to, to get rid of all of these uh, me- animal metaphors like bringing home the bacon because was that not yeah. a jest though was it no that was a no. P- Peter Peter Edit. whatever they're yeah, called yeah, yeah. I, yeah. but I have to give them credit for it. you can't feed a fed horse in f- like <laughs> that one is probably better than the original do you know what I mean I thought somebody it was said to me Jess, do you not think they'd, they'd have better or bigger fish to fry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But did you see they started, like, like, people started tweeting them back on this. And one of the ones that they then retweeted was somebody said, Curiosity thrilled the cat. Which is the complete fucking opposite of yeah. the, the actual saying, like. I so, heard some people saying today it was tongue-in-cheek. No, but the danger of this is, e- even if it was, right, you, you see how quickly a movement can yeah. build mm. around the hysteria. Because there's thousands of people saying, I agree, you know, I totally agree. And that's the thing with, de- with social media. You know, mainstream media used to filter out mad ideas, right? Mm. <laughs> but with social media, every everything is democratically equal. Like, it's the mm. insane democracy of social media, right? And every idea has exactly the same moral equivalence. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. And, and like I was saying about words and ideas, like, ideas are actually the dangerous thing, you know? Words are just... You know, it's easy to see how somebody wouldn't get the, the updates and would suddenly find themselves using the wrong word. Absolutely, right? yeah. But if it's not meant with malice or if it's not meant with hatred, you've just used the wrong word. Mm. And so it's a social miscue, as far as I'm concerned, rather than a hate crime. But every, I just think there's, there's language policing, it's, I just think it's going too far. I think um, we... I was saying that today. I, I, I think <coughs> we're so frightened. We're going to be so frightened in the future of, ta- of people taking offence by what we say. I think yeah. we'll become a silent species. You know, I think <laughs> just, yeah. but it's, it's it's not just the, like those ones. It's not just the the obvious ones like 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 Midget or like the N word or whatever. Because I don't know if you've seen this this week. The word women is now on the shopping block. They've replaced the mm. E with an X. Yeah. Did you so I didn't know how to pronounce that. With yeah. or something? Women, this is just it. Like, they're continuing to pronounce it women, presumably. Yeah. But it's a college in London where students have decided that 
they, they, they will not use the word women often, any longer. These things often start in colleges. Don't yeah. They? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, that, but that's the well, thing. Like, when, you, when you get a clickbait article saying uh, a phrase or a song is banned, yeah. like, mm. what was the song? Baby, it's cold outside. Baby, it's cold yeah. outside. I mean, it was banned by a temporary radio station and uh, yeah. a radio station in Ohio. Yeah. Like how many radio stations are in the world? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, probably Sometimes the same radio stations that were burning the Beatles records back yeah. in the sixties. Do you know what I mean? John Lennon yeah. sings bigger than God. Yeah, but like the hysteria, the hysteria sometimes is as bonkers as the suggestion or the, the well, change. Well, trying to ban yeah. baby, it's called outside. It's just ridiculous in fairness. Like that's the only. But that's only two radio stations. Song, I've always that that line. Say, say what's, what's in, in this drink. drink I've always heard that and shuddered a bit like well, you know see I, I was thinking about this and I was talking to one of the lads and work about that and he was like because I'm the same as you I've always heard that and gone oh that's yeah, a bit yeah. but he was like I presumed it was just alcohol He's like, I presume that he just yeah, put a drop, yeah. of vo- a drop of vodka in our orange juice. And yeah. I was like, I presume he dropped something in the vodka. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of interesting that there's this, you know, it's, it's open to interpretation. But then his element of it is completely innocent yeah. compared to what I was thinking, you know? Yeah. But then, I mean, if you start, so if you police that, <clears throat> then you've got to go and police, uh, like, Guys and Dolls, which is just one of the greatest musicals ever written. There's a scene in that where <clears throat> the head of the temperance, this sort of temperance society, uh, Sky Masterson is trying to bring her off to Cuba like for the weekend. And it, it's that classic thing of, of, uh, of the musical, these two people who are totally opposite and they actually meet in the middle, like, but they both give up their extreme mm. ways and, and find common ground. But there's a scene in that where he's, he's trying to bring her off to Havana. And I think the song is called Dolce de Leche or something. He's basically given her chocolate milk and there's rum in it and she's she's getting drunk and it's yeah. part of the seduction process. So that would have to go, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I, I think with a lot of these things, if it's not to your taste, I, d- I think don't don't listen to it. But yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, That's why you don't get the hysteria sometimes. I, like, I, had a th- I did a thing this year... Uh, a review of Postcards from the Ledge, the, the Ross or Carol Kelly one-man show, which came mm. back in, in March. Which was brilliant. Thanks very much. I loved it. And it's going to be in the pavilion in Dunleary, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's coming it to the pavilion yeah. in yeah. Um, February. February. Yeah, yeah, for a week. So it's very exciting. Rory Nolan, who plays Ross, is from around the area. Right, yeah. He's from Kalini. So it's um, near here, actually. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a home gig for brilliant. him. He can go Excellent. home to his mothers every night. But um, so we... So, that, that ran in March. And yeah, this was interesting. There was a review in, uh, I think it was might have been the journal or it was an online review. And it said, um, you know, you know, whatever about, found this funny, I found this funny. However, uh, I don't find joking about house prices in good taste in, in these days of homelessness, uh, right? And it's kind of like, like if that... If you follow that to its logical conclusion, we'll have to ban humour because all humour, all good jokes are based on offending taboos, right? Yeah. So there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way you're supposed to think and a joke completely subverts that and mm-hmm. that's what makes you laugh. But what troubled me about that, apart from the fact that it's so... Who, could t- who would take offence at a state agent saying... This house is two point five million. So, yeah. Well, there's homeless people out there. I thought it was just so prissy, and 
and so uh, you know taking offence just just for the heck of it. But what really troubled me most about it was she was actually quite young. The person who wrote this review, I think she's about twenty. She's I think about twenty four or twenty five, and she's too young to remember what it was like to live uh, in a in an Ireland where there was real censorship. You know mm, yeah. where you couldn't you basically couldn't buy anything written by an Irish author in Ireland because they were all banned. All our authors had to leave, you know, because they couldn't they couldn't be published in this yeah. country. If you tried to get through customs in Dunleary with a couple of copy of Borstal Boy it'll be taken from you. Yeah. Something as innocent as Borstal Boy. Uh, and that censorship and and we got rid of censorship and we got rid of the church's role in telling us what we can and can't read and what we can and can't think. And now we have, you know, I, I, I regard them as the new clergy, you know, it, and it's the same orthodoxy. They're bringing in, uh, uh, you know, censorship and saying, well, you can't joke about that. You can't say that word. And I don't think it's healthy. And, and I also don't think writers should be championing. I, I don't think writers say, should how, be getting excited about that. The irony you know? of that, like. Yeah, I mean, a writer should be pushing the envelope all the time as comedians should be as well mm. about as you know the, the, all the great comedians you know uh, Bill Hicks especially Richard Pryor they all said the unsayable and they you know like Bill Hicks went to jail for our right to say motherfucker like you know he went to pretty they sent him to jail because he said motherfucker and they said it was obscene and um, and that's only 50 years ago yeah. you know and now we can all say motherfucker but we have the we have the new clergy are coming in with a new list of we can say motherfucker but we can't we can't make a joke about a house uh, in Sally Noggin costing 2.5 million euro because mm. you know it might offend people who are working with homelessness I mean it's ludicrous you know mm, I yeah. know it's crazy <coughs> but it, it, it's almost like the journalists of now if you said that that journalist there was in their 20s it's like they're too spoiled now or something like that yeah and they didn't I think have the censorship back then and now they're trying to create little censorship yeah, I think, I think yeah. they're, they're playing to the back of the room as, as kind of like the, the, they're playing to a select group of people who they want to read their article or they want to read their review I want them to congratulate them and Ex- say exactly you, know, you have yeah. really you have really great views I mean, she's she's basically she's essentially saying I really hate homelessness. Yeah, and that's fine. We all do. Well, so do you? Yeah, but, yeah. The creator of the but line. it isn't. You, you can hate homelessness and and satirize a world in which you know you've like, got estate agents pushing up prices of houses. You're not the, taking the, the piss out of the homeless. I was going like, to say no. the, the absurdity of of gas and Sally Noggin costing two point five million yeah. is actually highlighting that. This is a fucking basket case yeah. situation. And that we're going back there again, you know. We're, yeah. we're making all the same mistakes uh, as a country that we made 15, 20 years ago. And we're, gonna, we're just repeating the cycle of boom and bust capitalism. Like, it's mm. all we know. It's, it's all we're comfortable with. But, you know, we, the, the funny thing is, we wouldn't need censorship in this country now because the, we actually have it. And the people who are writing are solicitously self-censoring themselves you know yeah. they they are you know you you we were always taught when we worked for the sunday tribune under vincent brown that I was we had say a responsibility brown, yeah. to tell the truth and quite often it was it was the truth that that 
that you know people didn't want to hear and i remember that really when i covered the michelle smith case for instance you know it was you took you know you took it on the chin and it was really really tough at the time you know to be writing about, you know about this <coughs> sports story that the whole country wanted to celebrate uh and and it would be easy to uh, to just row in with that, you know. But as a journalist, you know, you have to. It's like that thing. You have to, if you want to lead the orchestra, you have to turn your back on the crowd. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but I notice a lot with online, especially with online journalism. They, there's none of that. There's none of that courage. And you know, as Danny said, they're they're playing to uh, they're playing to a certain crowd. Yeah. And they're playing to the crowd, mostly their friends who'll tell them. Yeah. That was a lovely and thing the, you said about the guys who the guys will tweet the article and be like, you know, yeah. oh, this is dead right, blah blah, you know. And it is for it, it is virtue signalling, you know. Yeah. But but you know the 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 censorship thing, being told what you can and and can't say, like probably eighty percent of the countries in the world, journalists there would just kill to have our. Our, yeah. our laws, our liberal it's, uh, censorship laws that we don't, you can still write an opinion in a newspaper, yeah, you know, and it, you can still stand outside the door with a big sign, you know, yeah. calling out Leo Varadkar, and you can't do it in most countries. But the idea that people who've grown up with that freedom then would advocate without any suggestion from the government or from the courts or anything, would actually advocate that we need to censor all of our thoughts and our words. I mean, I was when I le learned journal journalism from Vincent Brown, we were taught it's up to the lawyer to come in and tell you you can't say that. Mm. It's not up to you to decide, oh, I, I think I'll give him an easy ride or I think I'm offended at that, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll write something about my offence. Yeah. I think it's quite dangerous. It's, it's, it's mad, though, because you're, you're saying this and it's echoing... Two, two people we've had in the podcast who we'd have great respect for in Phil O'Connor and Ewan McKenna mm. who have said very similar to what you're saying in the mm. sense of kind of like journalism out there at the moment is not real it's journalism like PR, it's crazy like, it? yeah yeah and uh, you know something really you know something really negative I suppose happened to journalism in the last 20 years that um, when when the money went out of journalism like it's not a career it's not a career that uh if you're if you're 16 or 17 and you're really really smart, you're the smartest kid in your class. Mm. It's not a career to aspire to now because there's no money in it, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of career guidance counselors in school are directing kids towards careers that actually pay well rather yeah. than careers that suit them. So there's no reason if you're 16 and really smart, there's no there's nothing really to attract you to journalism anymore. And then, you know, in line with that. A lot of redundancies in newspapers over the last few years and it took out this middle management out of newsrooms so most newsrooms now when i worked in newsrooms the average age was about 42 43 there were a lot of people in their 20s but there were a lot of people in their 50s and that layer of seniority has been stripped out of newsrooms mm -hmm. so you don't have that kind of institutional institutionalized memory so if somebody, if a politician from the 1970s dies tomorrow, a significant figure, they will have to Google him in the newsroom to find out who he was. Mm. Nobody yeah. will actually have personal memory of him in the newsroom. Because they're all laid off. <clears throat> they're all laid off. And newsrooms now are very, very young. And unfortunately, you know, there are some notable exceptions, but 
Ewan McKenna being one of them. I, he's, I, from, so he's from Vincent Brown ilk as well, isn't no, he? No, no, he came in no. afterwards, but, right. but you know, he learned in the Tribune and and actually Ewan didn't really need to learn it. Like Ewan, Ewan was ballsy right from the start, you know, mm. and he knew what the job was about and he knew he was there to write inconvenient truths. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I think the personality of most journalists under the age of 30 in Ireland is quite timid. I yeah. think they... I think I think I think they're quite timid and uh, and frightened, you know, frightened to go against but are they the party not, line. Are, like you in the Tribune, you had Vincent Brown as the editor. Is it the editors that are being timid, or is it the journalists? I think yeah, I think you need a strong editor, but a lot of newspapers now, because the online thing is more important than the printed edition. So journalists who used to have an entire day to write an article and research an article are now producing eight, nine articles a day. Like I know people have done shifts in independent.ie and they're just churning, you know, yeah. they're just, and they're, somebody says something on Twitter, story, you know, they That's type the it That's depressing, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, because it's not journalism. It's not journalism, you know, it, just... isn't, it isn't journalism. They're writing about Twitter rows and all they're doing is copy and pasting what he's, and then he came back with this and then he came back with this and that's a story. And I mean, there are journalists doing really, really good things still in independent.ie, the Irish Times, you know, lots of lots of newspapers. Uh, but the culture has completely changed like that. You know, the idea that you could you could write a piece that involved you making 35 phone calls, for instance, yeah. just doesn't doesn't exist, doesn't anymore. exist anymore now to slightly change pace on this there is one art in the newsroom that is still a joy to behold and that's so better than and recently we got to see some of the best headlines <laughs> that have graced the front pages in quite some time <laughs> yeah and it just so happened that our beloved Bally Brack was at the heart of all this lads oh yeah yeah <laughs> well it was and before great. we start we'll give you yeah. a gift you you asked for something you asked for something are going and to we're, play we're Santa. producing thanks to my father. Yeah. So my father's giving you this on, oh, be, on no. behalf of I what's the story. What this is. <laughs> oh my god! This is your very yeah. own Ballyrack Football Club Look jersey. Look at that now. I'm blown away. There you go. It's for you to put in the attic or wherever. Oh, yeah. now it's gonna be well. I'm gonna wear it for all all the uh, book signings. I love the fact that the I go in is on the front. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's lucky sad. number thirteen as well, which is you know. Unlucky for some. <laughs> Oh, um, I love it. It's that, a nice jersey, isn't it? That's, it is, that's yeah. from my dad's when he used to manage the senior team. Yeah, yeah. It is actually. No, it's a lot better than the ones he used to give us when we were playing. So it was weird, wasn't it? It felt yeah. like a, a UFO had landed in Harry <laughs> Brack. Didn't it for about three days, right? Oh, and madness, like. a friend of mine a friend of mine works for the he freelances for the New York Times. <laughs> And he, he sent me an email and it's uh, he just said, Paul, uh, the Tuesday or the Wednesday? The Tuesday. He said, I want to pick you up. Can I pick your brains about this Ballybrack story? I said, what Ballybrack story? <laughs> he said about the, the player who died. And I'd seen something about it on Facebook, but I hadn't seen that he was still alive. And I said, oh, yeah, I heard he died in a, in a car crash. And he went, no, 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 he's still alive, you know. So he started telling me the story. And I said, You're, and the New York Times, interested. he said, turn on the telly, it's on Sky. So I stuck on the telly and they're talking about on Sky News and it was mad, you know. But it's, you know what's really sad? Like, I mean, it was funny and, and we all got a great kick out of it. And, you know, it was, it was great. I was just so proud to, you know, to hear yeah. Bally Brack. But no one cares. No one in the media cares about Bally Brack. 
until the UFO lands. You know, yeah, like when yeah. was the when was the last time any journalist from RTE, the Irish Times, the Irish Independent came to Ballybrack to write about uh, social problems, write about you know drug problems. Pooch Davis's goals. Yeah, Pooch Davis's <laughs> goals, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and and that's it. Like Ballybrack gets ignored until until this, and and we probably won't hear about Ballybrack on the news mm. for about five years or something. It's funny as well because on the Wednesday, <clears throat> on the way I let, I came off from work on the Wednesday, and my mom was like, "It's all over the bloody news. It's on the lunchtime news," and she remarked that TV Three and RT were outside Ballybrack Football Club. Yeah, all yeah. quiet here on Ballybrack. I'm sure, yeah, it's yeah. Wednesday at one o'clock. Like. <laughs> What do you ex- what do you expect them? They were outside Tesco trying to get locals to comment, and the amount of people, what the fuck, yeah, yeah. which was brilliant. Because they've like, never seen a camera, yeah. like they've they've no interest in coming and, and reporting on on working anything, class areas on, on, on good news or bad news. The you last know, time just they want the freak show. The last time I seen Ballybrack mentioned in the Irish Times was an article saying priced out of Cliney, consider Ballybrack. Yeah, and they were pa- painting it as this fucking. <laughs> social utopia that was just like on yeah. the doorstep of the roaming hills of Clyde yeah. you know yeah. and I was like wow. a, a reporter from the Sun rang me on the Tuesday afternoon for a comment and for details um, of the number of the chairman or the number of the management and I was f- f- fobbing him off and um, he says I just want to give them a right to reply this is going on the front page tomorrow morning and I was like the front page are you having a laugh like <laughs> yeah, yeah it's mad page. like like the one thing I will say about it is, and it, it, look, it it did completely blow out of proportion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but it it gave a lot of people a laugh. And it was in so funny. I mean, that's the reason it was blown out of proportion. It wasn't that it it wasn't that they suddenly thought it was it was the equivalent of Man United or something. Yeah. It was yeah. actually very very funny. funny. Exactly. And there was something. Yeah. There was something uniquely Irish about it because it's the mm. chancer thing right and and also the innocence of it the the idea that you you could you could have done that 20 years ago completely yeah. got away with it but with social media now yeah you say something and you know, this guy died and suddenly everybody in the Leinster Senior League is having a minute silence yeah. for the guy you know and um, the, he sorry and just I don't know if you've seen this we're, we're recording this on Thursday and front page of the mirror today. Yeah, they want them. He wants to go on dance. Your man Fernando wants oh. to be on Dancing with the Stars. Front page of the fucking mirror. <laughs> like he, we he can hasn't even had his month's mind. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even cold in the ground, and he's already on Dancing with the Stars. Dance with the Stars. Like, but the, the, the Sunday uh, Business Post rang me on the Friday. The Friday after the Friday after it, yeah. and they were on the Sunday piece, and he says to me. Um, do you think the manager is going to have a press conference or make a statement? <laughs> it's like, it's, back, it's, like it's, it's like Manchester United. You having a laugh? That's amazing. I actually, said it's not Shamrock Rovers. You having a laugh? <laughs> you know, that, that was like the Friday. Yeah, it, yeah. it had started to die down Thursday. There's no um, and this you is see, where when they're flagging up a story, right? The only reason it's a story is because it's hilarious, right? And because yeah. it speaks of a certain kind of it's, it's, Irishness and a certain kind of Ballybrackness that I happen <laughs> to be very, very proud of. When Absolutely. I heard it, I just said, "Go Ballybrack!" Like you yeah. know, and um, I instantly recognised the Ballybrack I grew up in in, in <laughs> that because that's totally what we would have done, something yeah. like that. 
And just but, a tale, like but tell to, a tale. Ju- but to justify making it the headlines of the news, they have to upscale it and pretend it's like Manchester City or Manchester United, yeah. you know. So the Sky News are reporting uh, a member of Ballybrack Football Club has been suspended from all footballing duties. <laughs> go, Lads, it's Ballybrack. Yeah. Come on, relax. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you know, know, all footballing duties. Like, what else is there to do? Marking yeah. the pitch, yeah. you know, doing the vol- It's volunteering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Voluntary. Yeah. But he's just, uh, yeah. It, it, like, thanks. So, I'm blown away by the jersey, by the way. Yeah. That's really that. <laughs> that's, my, that's the best Christmas present I could have hoped for. Like, you, know. also, you, you might have asked for a Liverpool jersey as a kid, but as an no, adult, you asked for that. That's what I, I want. Yeah. yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, you so got it. as well. I can wear that walk in the dog at night as well because it's yellow. Yeah, you, you'd stand there. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like fluorescent yeah. yellow, you know. Did yeah. you ever play for Ballyrack? No, I played for uh, Lachlanstown Boys. Ah, uh, Jesus. Sorry to hear that. They were, they were like Ballybrack, but shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was terrible anyway, like, you know, like, uh, I, I just think if you're, if, you're, if you're wearing glasses on the pitch, <laughs> you know, and this was in the days before the you're Edgar Davids. I was going to say, I, yeah. I, I loved them, like, I loved a pair of them Edgar Davids goggles, like, you know. Would but you I had the little Buddy Holly you walking around glasses. the back wearing them, though. That's you look like Buddy yeah. Holly up in the Oh, so the my nickname was Buddy Holly, like, as a kid, you know, they used to call me Buddy Holly. So the little the like national health black glasses with a bit of <laughs> bit of plaster holding the earpiece on, playing for for Lachlanstown boys, but we like we were really 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 terrible like you know like to be all like we lose thirteen nil and fourteen you know those matches where the ref yeah. should blow up yeah so after four, ten minutes like, we were like ten you're playing ninety minutes at ten years of age <laughs> what are you doing what are you yeah. thinking like but we used to go out. We used to go out to places like Cherry Orchard, like the Ballybrack. When when uh, when we moved into Cromleck, like they were still building it, like it was still a building site. But we were going to all these areas that were also still building sites. So we went to Cherry Orchard, and it was just like 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 miles and miles of houses with scaffolding still under construction. And we go to Talla and play, and it was the same, you know. But I remember we went to uh, Cherry Orchard, Ballyfermot, and we were playing. Uh, we were playing against them and Jason Dunn Dunner from from Cromleck yeah. he he was playing on the on the right wing and the, the fans used to stand when you went out to Cherry Orchard like every there'd be a thousand people at the match like you'd have 12 people up in the field in Lachlanstown they'd have a thousand people you know and they'd stand intimidating intimidatingly close to the sideline like right on the sideline yeah. so the referee the linesman would have to run the line on the pitch the linesman would actually be running like a winger on the pitch because they, they were just like right up against the edge but I remember Jason Dunn was on the pitch and, and one of the lads went to play a pass to him and he was gone right <laughs> they just grabbed him into the crowd like, no just, yeah yeah just like <laughs> pulled him into the crowd and they wouldn't give him back like you know <laughs> and then so we're saying to the ref you know one of our players has gone missing you know and he's just saying just play just play like because he's basically saying like we <laughs> get can, out of here you know just, you just get, take your beating and go home like go back to Lachlanstown <laughs> So Jay was gone for about 15 minutes. Like, you know, <laughs> just were, in the ground, like. You were holding them down on the ground, like. <laughs> My God. And then they let him back on, like, when it, when it was clear we Don't, weren't going to score. Yeah. They just didn't want us to score a goal. Like, Did you they, ever win? No. no we, drew, um, we drew with a team called Broadford. And Broadford were oh, posh. Back Ballantyre, Ballantyre, yeah, Ballantyre, yeah. yeah, so they were a bit posher than us, you know. But I remember, like, we were like threatening them and that before you know saying not not threatening to hurt them just like you know we're gonna fucking do this you know <laughs> tackles will be going in you know we're gonna 
you're dead, all this kind of thing. And uh, I remember when the, the captain kept going, we'd say, we're going to win. You can't be so sure. We'd say, we are, we're going to win. You can't be so sure. He was so posh, this kid, you know. Well, we taught, we'd hockey them because they were posh. They were kind of rugby type yeah. guys, you know, 2-2. Two, two. That was the only result we ever got. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played a season and a half. Who was the manager? Um, Joe. Joe Hayes. Joe Hayes. Oh, what a legend. The board of Many a kid kicked that first football on a Joe Hayes. Yeah. And then he'd always get your subs off you before he told you you weren't playing. That's right. A master of the air. That was the sign of a good manager, actually, in Lachlanstown. If you could extract a 10p from all the kids before they had to go home to their dad's to say I'm not big. Why am I giving you 10p every week to go and stand on the sideline? And you're not playing. Yeah. yeah. And I played for Carrick Lee when I was a bit younger. I was about maybe nine or ten when I played for Carrick Lee. And the manager there was Normie Delaney, who again is a Borough legend. Like, is he now a ref? It's Norman Norman. The ref? Uh, now, so Normie, Normie would probably be in his 60s now. Oh, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. When I was playing football, there was an owl at Norman Delaney who was a ref. Oh, well, that must be and him. And he, he was, was refing them, was he? Yeah, Storm and Norman. And we used to give him just that terrible time because he'd run about 10 yards of the halfway line either side and that was as far as he'd go. Yeah, Wouldn't yeah. bother, like, tracking into the box. So if we were playing at home and Norm was the ref. Jesus, there'd be elbows, there'd be punches, there'd be all. You wouldn't say it. Yeah, because he was 50 yards away. Like, so he'd just be like, easy now, easy now. We'd go, yeah, go, fuck it. Great cracks, like, the, the yeah, joyous yeah. boy football. Like. Yeah. yeah. And then, so how do we get to an era like where we, that, right? That's what we grew up. It was like, like when we played, it was like that movie, Rollerball. Like, and it, like there was just killings, <laughs> like, you know? And now you have this era of, if there's contact, like if somebody oh, yeah. breathes on you, just go down in the hope yeah. that you get a penalty. I, I'm beginning I, to hate football. Like I watched Match of the Day a couple of weeks ago. Did you enjoy the ago. World Cup? I didn't think it was a great World Cup. I didn't think it was. I, I loved I thought this it was, World Cup. I thought it was a really interesting World Cup. I thought it was, there was some kind of exciting stories in it. I didn't think the football was great, to be honest. Yeah. Was, you know, is that because of what you're saying there? about? Yeah, yeah. I mean... The VAR is the best thing, in my view, yes. best thing that yeah. could ever happen to yeah. football. Big VAR but what fan. they need to do is, as soon as a player does the the, the square with his fingers yeah. to say go to VAR, he should that should be a yellow card. Never yeah. mind booking players for taking off their jerseys when they celebrate. Yeah, Any player who brandishes an imaginary yellow card should get a yellow card yeah. instantly. Yeah. And they'd stamp all that nonsense out. But uh, the the... The thing is that the, the v, what VAR is, it's actually encouraged bad behavior because uh, it's encouraged players to go down rather than discourage them. Mm. So there, what, what, I know, what I know is the trend in the World Cup, and it's happening a lot in the Premier League as well, is there are players and there are teams who actually look on the winning of penalties as like a primary yeah. uh, attacking objective. Like Hazard, everybody talks about Hazard, what a player. You know, when he runs at you. But it's only because if you're a defender, you know if you make any contact whatsoever, it's he's a, on his yeah. face, you know. And like they say, he's the most foul player in the Premier League, as if that's a mark of his greatness. I just think it's a mark of he's learned the art of winning free kicks. Right. Mm. And I, I think when that's your primary attacking option, <laughs> I just think that's really really negative football like Liverpool I love the football Liverpool are playing I love the football Man City are playing and their their primary attacking objective is to put the ball in the net yeah. to score a goal 
But when you see players actually in goal scoring positions going down because they they fancy the chances of their penalty as opposed to going for the scoring rather than themselves having a 50 50 chance of putting the ball past the goalkeeper they're playing the percentages and i hate that you know i really do like sometimes i watch old matches from when graham soonez was playing like you you actually watch them yeah yeah 90 minutes yeah yeah i would yeah yeah i've got i've got a lot of matches from like liverpool in the 70s like and just recorded yeah yeah and i've translated transferred them onto (laughs) The DVD. You're such an anorak, I was aren't you? Say, you are really coming across this, right now. Like, you this are happened such this an year, anorak. Like, I, I decided, so I'm at that age now, and, and it'll happen to you lads as well, right? <laughs> Where your, 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 your main objective in life is not to, leave, not to leave too much of a mess behind for somebody to clear up after you're dead, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So I'm kind of looking around the house, and I'm thinking, like... It's very refreshing, actually, very liberating to think to yourself, most of what you earn, what, most of what you own is going in a skip when you die. No matter how much you love it, right? No one's going to love it as much as you, right? So, you, you know, you're, you're polishing your, this ornament. Me Valley Brack jersey will survive. I know that, like, you know. You'll be buried in that. I will be buried with that. Uh, but, you know, all your books, all your DVDs, all your CDs, all these things you, you, that are precious to you, they're going in a skip. Yeah. Probably, probably the day after you die, but maybe if you're lucky a week afterwards, right? <laughs> Somebody's going to come and clear your house out and it's all gone. So, so I'm kind of in, I'm at the, I'm 48 in January, right? So I'm, I'm downsizing now. I'm on the back nine, right? So I'm sort of saying, right, you've, you've accumulated all this junk. Now you've Is this Mary it. telling you to downsize? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Is, yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, and also the fact that you know you can, you just can't live like a student for the rest of your days, like surrounded by by shite. Like you know, you have to have a home. It has to feel like a home. So anyway, about about the Star Wars figures. The Star Wars, they're they're still there, right? But I might be getting rid of them. I don't know. But about three years ago, uh, I decided that VHS wasn't coming back, right? How <laughs> many years ago? About three years ago. Well, about two and a half years ago, right? See, people, everyone's saying, oh, vinyl's back, you know? And I said, so VHS will definitely come back, right? And I was hoping against hope, right? And I took, I took a bunch of videos down, the, uh, down to Barnardo's in Dunleary, and they said, oh, we don't take, we don't take videos. So I, I carried them down to the, the Irish Cancer Society, and they didn't take them. And I took them down to Oxfam, and they sent me away as well. So that was when I started to, I first suspected that that VHS was gone for good and wasn't coming back again. Like, yeah. Three know? years ago. But I still had a video recorder right. in the house, you know. But then I put on a tape and it's really weird because we have a HD telly, right? I'm yeah. trying to watch the old VHS on the, it just looks weird. Like, it's really <laughs> strange. So, um, so anyway, I found this great place in town and they, they like, translate your VHS onto DVD. onto DVD but now apparently DVD is on the way out so yeah. don't use her so just put it onto a memory stick now or onto a <laughs> anyway so DVD is on the way out so I've transferred all my VHS cassettes onto a format that's just as doomed so now I'm trying to find out what I transferred them onto but I have things like like Euro 80 like I got this with this uh, video of Ireland at Euro 88, right? And it was RTE produced it after 30 years ago this year. 
the video came out at Christmas, half an hour from the three matches at Euro Asia, England, Russia, and Holland. And I watched it to like, watch it every day for like three years or something. Not every day, but I mean, I watched it regularly to the point where I know the commentary off by heart and everything, mm-hmm. you know? And <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't watched it in a few years, but I, I, still, I still don't want to say goodbye to it. I remember <laughs> buying, I bought it in Golden Discs in Dunleary Shopping Centre uh, in 1988. And I remember really clearly leaving the shop and being really excited getting on the bus because I was going home. <laughs> To watch this, like, you and know, you won't part with it. It's a, it's it's got huge sentimental. emotional sentimental. Everyone significance. sees it. Yeah. First tournament, like, why would you not want to? Yeah, win? yeah, and it was um, and beating England, like you know, like Italian ninety just didn't compare as far as I was concerned. It was the it's the first tournament, beating England, playing Holland off the pitch, and coming one fluky goal from Holland away from actually just to you know getting to the semis. So I just want to correct you. First, our first tournament was '87. What was that? Rugby World Cup. All right, um, Paul, <laughs> were you were you at Italian ninety? Was it? Were you at Italian ninety? No, 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 no. I watched it here. Um, yeah, watched it. Watched it in Ireland. You know, you, it's it's but, you don't compare. Well, you can't compare to DVD now, but it's now. You know, like those little memory cards or the USB sticks. USB, really? Yeah. You can get them put onto them now, and you just plug them straight into oh, the telly. Can you? And, and yeah, th- like. Films are being sold like in that format. Well, films aren't being sold in that format, but you can get your old. So people are doing it with like wedding videos and that kind of thing now, oh, yeah, where yeah. you get it put onto a memory stick. Right. So because VHS is yeah, uh, as you've learned, unfortunately, a dead tech. I'll probably find so, out next week. It's coming back. Like it probably will. Skip. I gotta skip and put them all in. Already all gone. They're all translated now. It gave you some more space in the house. Well, yeah, it kind of did. But then, you see, I, I, we went at the DVDs then, you know, and it's like picking a scab that, that, that wasn't ready to be picked, you know? <laughs> I mean, like, you know when you have a scab and you think, yeah, that's, that's ready to go, and then, and then halfway through, you realise that wasn't ready. <laughs> it's still so You can't leave it because your shirt keeps sticking to your... Yeah. You've got this little reservoir of pus yeah. underneath, like, you know? That's a disgusting metaphor. But anyway... <laughs> So uh, we, uh, we had them all in the, it, it, they, see they weren't accessible, that was the problem. Like you got about like 500 DVDs down there and then, which we don't watch, right? You know you buy, you buy every episode of The Sopranos, they, that's my favourite TV show. I can see myself watching it every year for the rest of my life. Oh, and absolutely. then you put it in the, in the attic and you never ever watch it again mm. because you, you forget when you're hoarding all this stuff there's more of the stuff is going to come out and you yeah. don't have time to watch the new stuff never mind the stuff you've already seen so anyway we we faced the day like you know Mary Mary be you know good Would at Mary making. be the same Mary's a bit of a hoarder as well actually like she's like like her cupboards and wardrobe and stuff at home like you just oh, you never know what's going to fall out on top of you like you know? so two hoarders in the house is bad so three times a year I'd say we do a cull right so we just put a weekend aside and we're just there's a skip in the garden and we're just I love when you do it because you end up finding some gems and you put them on Twitter <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah well that's it you know but they're all stuff I can't get rid of I, I say I'm throwing this out and then look around Mary's, <laughs> Mary's not looking stick it back in the eaves you know but the eaves of the house we live in a dormer bungalow and uh, so so there's kind of little doors that go in there's a crawl space like you know right. it's barely barely room for you to kind of crawl through it it's just packed with boxes 
full of CDs and DVDs. Now all the CDs are on the computer, right? And they're on the iPod. I, I, I can't remember the last time I even put a CD on. Like right. in my car, yeah. I've got the iPod plugs into the, yeah. into the car, so yeah. you can play the stuff in the car. We've got the Sonus thing in the house, yeah. so you just operate off your phone. What's Any song, it's like a Alexa, a, a wireless, them. like a speaker in every room, yeah. you know. Oh well. So, like you know, when we put on Stop the Cavalry, like everyone in the house has to hear Stop the Cavalry. And <laughs> <laughs> you talk to it? No jokes, you talk to. No, we don't have that one. That's the oh, new one where you say, yeah. you know, yeah. play Jonah Louis, play me something by Jonah Louis. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, so there was no need for all these CDs and DVDs, right? But instead of biting the bullet and getting rid of them, right, I ordered about 20 of those, you know, those big vinyl albums that you can put all the plastic in, right? Because I, I can't say goodbye to them, right? But the I know. sleeves, like. Yeah, yeah, the sleeves, yeah. So they're all in these books. Now, it takes up about, you know, a tenth of the space that all these boxes did. But I'm still not letting the technology go. Like, I still think it's coming back, you know? They, yeah. No. Right. No. Don't they don't even so. sell computers or CD drives anymore, man. It's, yeah. You know. But you can buy external ones. <laughs> <laughs> he has a cover. Check true. this out. That is true. Yeah. You can't buy an external VHS for your computer, no. unfortunately. Yeah, that is common. Do you ever you know? watch the Channel Four documentaries on hard hoarders, and do you relate to them? No, I, like I'm not. Like I'm not so. Like our house doesn't have a lot of clutter around. Like yeah. You know? But would you go to the shops and if you see a bargain, you'll take ten? No. No. Not that I, bad. Like, I generally. I, I buy stuff that I really want. Like I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't buy stuff because it's a bargain. And I am quite good at throwing stuff out, but it's just, it is that thing. Or you, you know, it's like my dad, uh, not wanting to get rid of his flared trousers. Like you know, he, he was convinced flares were coming back. You know, <laughs> yeah, come on, I seen about, an article the other day. Well, for about thirty years, my dad kept saying, you know, like. Fashion is like a, a spin cycle. It eventually comes back again, you know? And then we used to mock him, Dad, you throw the flares out, you know? No, they're coming back. And then I arrived home one day with a pair of bell bottoms. He said, I knew it! <laughs> and he said, the worst thing he could have said to me, are they mine? He did not. No, yours were 60s flares. These are 90s flares. Are they flares. mine? Are you wearing my flares, Paul? <laughs> you were, uh, when you said there about, like, you'd buy the Soprano, saying, I'll watch that every year, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's true, but... I, I, I can't keep up with the new stuff. Yeah. I've about I've started about fifteen series that I'm about three episodes deep in all of them, and I just can't because every time I, I see something else, I see something else that's shiny on Netflix, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna watch that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now I'm like three episodes deep in about fifteen, and I just can't. I'm, I'm afraid I'll find something better than The Sopranos, and I'll have to admit that. Yeah, the newsroom, Graham. No, the newsroom is not better than the Sopranos. It's, it is a great. Newsroom show. is brilliant, but the Sopranos is the greatest of all time. The, the best one that I have watched recently is I'm not saying it's the best of all time. I'm just saying it's the one that I got past three episodes and I've actually managed to watch. You haven't it. watched the Sopranos yet, though. I, I watched what? I watched the first I season know. of it. Now, genuinely, I, I watched the first season of it and I just went, eh. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah, genuinely. Even Stephen Zandt. Yeah, and I love like anything to do with Bruce Springsteen. I, I mean, I watched what was that Norwegian show he did, <laughs> oh, Steve Van Zandt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I sat through Lily Hammer. Yeah. Lily Hammer. Yeah, I sat yeah. through all of that. Like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and yeah. the Sopranos didn't get you. Just couldn't. I just I, I've tried and I've gone back to it and I've gone back to it and I've gone because every guest we have, he yeah. talks about the Sopranos. I'm like, maybe oh, I'm missing it's something. The greatest written show. But ever. I, just, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. The tension in it is unbelievable. Like <sighs> even. You know, they they made a, ver a virtue out of just breathing, like you know, mm -hmm. like you know the way Tom, when when um, James Gandolfini, some of his best acting is just breathing. That 
Yeah. He could convey all sorts of, you know, anger, anger frustration yeah. with with just the the in and out of his breath. It I, was amazing. I love the series um where he was in the coma. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking this is gonna be shit because it's it just around the hospital bed. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And the, but the other great thing I found about the Sopranos was things never happened in the way you expected them to happen, mm. right? So usually if you're writing a piece of drama, uh, there's a logical place for every storyline to go, you know? And when you get notes back, even when you're writing a book, you get notes from the editor saying, oh, this storyline needs a resolution. And But the Sopranos, they didn't always resolve storylines. They left things up in the air. And when somebody, look, when two characters looked like they were heading to an inevitable showdown, like like Polly and Paulie Tony and Tony and, the and then Richie and Tony yeah. something completely random happened that they got they got killed in another way like do you remember yeah, when yeah. I think it was Richie was, was engaged to Tony's sister it's a lot it's about 10 years since I saw it but everybody thought Richie and Tony were heading for the these are like this is basically you know He's Robert De Niro mm. and Joe Pesci in Casino like they have to they're button heads and then suddenly she just shoots him randomly yeah. do you remember she killed yeah, him yeah, yeah. and then he killed his mother didn't he maybe strangled his mother yeah and it, but things that just made your eyes just pop out it's like, what? it doesn't ex- yeah you don't expect it to happen even yeah. the i think the, the last episode is the best ending to a show ever like yeah i was like i was fist pumping a lot see the ambiguity of it yeah, like you know and phenomenal. any any script editor would send that back to you and say you can't you, that's that's unresolved right and yeah. it takes a really strong writer to say Let's stick with it. Take it. Just that that's the ending. Is Tony Just the best that. your favourite TV character? Like no 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 from in, that specific genre, like obviously he, Del Boy is probably your favourite character. Ah oh, yeah, yeah, I love <laughs> Del Boy, yeah. Because I have his coat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah, I mean Tony Soprano. Was he your favourite <clears> character <throat> in the Sopranos? Um I love Polly Walnuts. Yeah, Polly was great, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Richie was great. Do you ever watch or do you ever follow uh, the Sopranos quotes on Twitter? No, no, oh, it's no. brilliant. It just brings you back, like it's it's yeah. all just quotes from individuals. Oh, I must do that, but yeah. then I spend too much time on Twitter. Do you know what's a terrible <laughs> thing, though? I mean, Sopranos is great, but the, when you watch a show like Sopranos or or Game of Thrones, it sets the bar too high yeah. for every other show. And after you watch it, after you find a great box set, Breaking Breaking Bad is another one. You you, you end up watching about six poorer ones yeah. afterwards and a lot of box sets kills me when people recommend a show and you give 10 hours to it and it turns out to be just a really average movie stretched mm. out over 10 hours like there's no reason for it to be a box set like it's yeah. just you know Netflix or HBO have said here's a movie script let's stretch let's, it out and make 10 episodes that's probably Sopranos think- fault yeah, yeah well, they, they've created an expectation of mm. television being really really good so Shows that we would have probably quite enjoyed ten or twenty mm. years ago. Actually, they would have been cutting edge television. Now they just pale. They're just pale yeah. by comparison. I think. I, I think that's part of like I. I love shows that like intertwine factual kind of like that's why the newsroom for me newsroom. is because how newsroom they, was brilliant. How they tied some of the story. I don't know if you've seen. No, it. I've never I mean, seen it. No, unbelievable. I think it's, it's um, Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin is the right. so if you like the West Wing, I don't know. Ah, yeah, yeah. If you like the West I Wing, I did a little bit. Twee, it can Wing. it can be a actually if yeah. you watch it the second time it's 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 like it's like love actually the more you watch it the the more oh, twee it gets <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? so it's um 
I, I liked it the first time around, but all that fist bumping, yeah, high five yeah. and chest bump and stuff, it's actually a bit naff the second time around. I much mm. prefer House of Cards. And actually, as presidents yeah. go, I much preferred uh, Frank Underwood, Frank Underwood yeah. to, to Jed Bartlett. I didn't watch the, <laughs> I didn't watch the West Wing consistently. Um, right. But, but the, the, the newsroom, Jeff Daniels plays the, the lead in it, and Sam, oh, I can't remember his name, he's in like Law and Order and all them. It's basically... He's the boss. He's yeah. he's the boss. He's the the, the head of oh, yeah. this news channel. You know what I mean? And it's it's just brilliant. It's genuinely it's my favorite show. But they they intertwine kind of like stuff that actually happened into the storyline. So right. one of the, one of the best episodes was they they done it around um, the lads going in and shooting Bin Laden. All oh, right. Okay. And how they plot the entire episode is just even if you if you never watch the series if you just find out one episode yeah, yeah. it's brilliant it's a brilliant it's episode it's actually fucking yeah. amazing because you can just picture a, a, like a newsroom being exactly like that on that day like yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. the alert coming in and somebody got something's going on you know, and all uh, it's only yeah. three series isn't it only three seasons yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. it's yeah. Watch it. it's yeah. Uh, HBO HBO right. as well yeah but uh, I think it's do on you know, have you ever seen there's a great YouTube clip of Aaron Sorkin recycling uh, yes, lines. Have you yeah, seen that? Yeah, it's amazing. He uses yeah. he uses the same lines over and over again. So yeah. they have all these clips on YouTube. It's about a five minute video mm. on YouTube of Ep, the West Wing, the newsroom. Yeah. Uh, so that's social media. The, the Facebook, yeah, the movie. I think this was called. Oh, what is it? Social network. Social, social network. network. Yeah, yeah. Did he write? Did he write the? Um, Brad Pitt baseball movie as Moneyball. well. Moneyball. Moneyball. Yeah. He wrote that. That's yeah, he brilliant. Did. But they, great film, yeah. they show the same lines being used by different characters in different films. So he's a he's a cut and paster. Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I, I felt great when I did that because I do that all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Sometimes accidentally you think, yeah, that's a very good line. And then you think, I'm sure I said that before. <laughs> I'm sure I wrote that before. And then I can't find that where I said it before. Yeah. So I think, oh, I'll use it. And then I discover... I used eight books ago, you know. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, yeah all the time. The, the other one that I've watched recently, and you're never, you're just going to wheel back from the microphone now and get angry at me for this. I've watched The Crown on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I like that. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Oh, genuine. Yeah. I know it'll kill you to watch <laughs> it. It will kill you yeah. to watch it. You'll be, after every episode, you'll play 10 national anthems and some sort of rosary <laughs> well, or something. I remember when the, the, the royal wedding was on this year, Mero. Just <laughs> pretending he wasn't watching it. You know, yeah, I, I actually wasn't watching it. I had a Sky Plus. <laughs> he did. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My I, granny loving it. You knew an awful lot about it. You, like, you, you know, know an awful you were lot saying, about it. You were talking about her dress and everything. I wasn't. I was talking about David Beckham. <laughs> yeah, that, that, People kept texting me saying you're the image of David Beckham. And I just had to see what he was wearing to see what see what they were talking about. Oh, man. The he's crowd chewing, genuinely he's over Christmas. in the church. Did you watch yeah, Roman? Right, yeah. We did, yeah. We did. Yeah, we did. Was yeah. it a party? No, no. The, I'm using the royal way. We. <laughs> <laughs> we, Mary and I watched the uh, the royal wedding. Yes, we watched it. You see, you made you made a deal of it. You didn't see, you? I'm, he's got that. What's the 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 drink that the tans drink? <laughs> the drink. The, tans no, drink. the drink that they drink. The alcoholic. It's like. Pump, pump or something, is it? Pims. So not a what is it? Pims. Is that Pims, Pims, that's yeah, it. Yeah. He's had Pims, didn't you? He's, he's treating this like the final night of the proms over here. Like You had Pims, didn't you? No, I I do like Pims, right? <laughs> and I've had that. I'd have that at, a bar, at the summer barbecue now with Shane McGowan in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that's an hour. I'd have a winter, a winter Pims or a summer Pims. Yeah. But uh, 
Now, we had, somebody had given me a bottle of champagne, right? When Copperface Jacks the Musical uh, opened that night. So I said, Mary said, oh, we watched the Royal, the Royal Wedding. We were still in bed, it was a Saturday. So I went downstairs and got the champagne. <laughs> right? <laughs> Now we weren't as bad. I have friends like like girls I know who actually put their wedding dresses on to watch it. Ah, that's, ah, that's you know that's, 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 that's ludicrous. Like that's like a girl I know from Greystones, her and five of her mates all put their wedding dresses on, and they had a like mimosas and all sorts Protestants. of stuff. Like yeah, like Catholics, like Catholics who who the Catholicism just didn't stick. You know, I just put on a <laughs> decent way. pair of slacks and a short for it. I mean, they went all you out. Didn't watch yeah. it. I did so. Did you, yes, did you stand did. up for the anthem? Of course. Yeah. You see, the thing is, remember, like I was born in England, right? So I, I have that. I, I accept. <laughs> you have the Declan Rice thing, is it? Yeah, yeah I yeah. accept my dual, my yeah. dual citizenship. You know, yeah. uh, but tell your uncle that I passed away. <laughs> <laughs> You're no nephew of mine. <laughs> I'm, I'm marrying into the Russians. I just have to accept everything. Like, do you know yeah, what I mean? exactly. That's, that's all there is to it for me. Like, so you're what? I'm marrying into the Russians. So all right. I just have to, Oksana. Oh, yeah, yeah. Martinova. Yeah. yeah. So I just have to accept any course of international action that's going on, except like, I'm not allowed like the Ukrainians. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, They've every, got that thing, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Or the Georgians. But what or the Georgians, they, actually. But yeah. the, like, the, the, the royal wedding thing, it's, it's funny because. Did you enjoy it? It's like it was like watching The Crown. Actually, it's like watching an episode of The Crown. But did you not feel like? Did did you feel like you watched it so Mary would let you watch the football later on that day? Or (laughs) I love how he's trying to. Do you think I have to negotiate to watch football? And my well, actually, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) We have a set number of matches I can watch, (laughs) which is only right. Like you know, it's not the way to hold a happy marriage together to be watching four football matches at the weekend or five. I get extra allowances if I fill the dishwasher and all that crap. All right, you got an extra allowance for watching. The Royal Wedding. See, I didn't... I, I quite enjoyed it, like, you know. I, you know, I think is... There's a big line was crossed in this country, I think, like when, when the Queen... When the Queen bowed her head in the Garden of Remembrance. Like, yeah. that was a massive moment uh, in, in terms of, like, drawing a line between that old kind of antipathy between, between the Irish and the English and, and now... We kind of realised that culturally, mm. we and, and in so many other ways, we have so much in common with them. We've actually got more in common with them than separates us. And that whole time, and then when Michael D went and addressed uh, the the House of Parliament, and and the job he did on it, and how proud you felt watching him <coughs> do it, you know, I I just think there was a complete uh, change in in Ireland's relationship. With Britain, or maybe it wasn't even that. Maybe it was just acknowledging a reality that too few people had acknowledged, which was lots of Irish people have very, very good friends who are English, and lots yeah. of English people have very good friends who are Irish. And it was actually just our establishments that were at odds with each other for historical reasons. But I think young people, you know, like Mary, you're you're knocking on now, you know, but. <laughs> Like, like teenagers, for instance, wouldn't have any concept of the troubles. Like, yeah. wouldn't have any concept of any time when there was war, when Ireland uh, was at war with Britain, or when uh, the IRA uh, were active 
in the north and good down Friday here. Agreements. Yeah, I mean, they don't even know what the Good Friday Agreement is. Do you think is. that the significance of the monarch, and I'm saying the monarch, Graham, not a monarch, but, uh, but mon- do you think the significance of the monarch bowing in the Garden Remembrance was lost on a lot of people? Yeah, I, I think so. It certainly would be lost on a generation of people who yeah. actually didn't know we were at war with Britain, you know? And I kind of think that's a good thing in a way. Mm. That they that they yeah. don't know, that they're not aware. Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, you know, to, to move on, there has to be a memory failure at some point, <laughs> I think, because the Troubles, was it was just, it was such a terrible time. And, you know, Brit, you know Britain did terrible things in Ireland and... Irish people did terrible things in Britain, and it was a very, very dirty war, and it was a a, 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 a dirty period of our history. And you know, I'm all for not forgetting things, but at the same time, if young people grow up with no concept of it, I, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing that oh, they I don't, agree. they don't know what you know the Loch and Island massacre was, and you know, they don't yeah. know about you know. I agree. I just hate monarchs. It doesn't have to be the British monarch. It's all yeah. monarchs. Great. You, yeah. you, you were in, you were in a soccer stadium booing a national anthem a couple of weeks ago. I was not. I you was there, so. and <laughs> I enjoyed the booing, but I didn't participate you, in the booing. You were nudging people, saying when this kicks, I was when, not. This, when this kicks off, boo. Right? <laughs> I was not. You text me, were you booing? I said no. And but I, I enjoyed it. And I don't believe you for one second. I, you were this, is, this is when God Save the Queen was played, is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For the Ireland were playing Occupied Ireland. Yeah. yeah. Occupied Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you claim to want to welcome these people I into a United Ireland. I didn't boo. I, I didn't expect the booing, but <clears> I didn't, didn't think anything of it. It was a friendly... Yeah, <laughs> and I don't like uh, monarchs. Uh, generally speaking, not just not just but the British monarch. Yeah, I, I don't know. like that sense of elitism just for the look of being born I, into a family. Like, yeah, but it's a kind of ancient thing. Yeah, that's pot- dying really. Like, if like I look the at British the, monarch will never die though, because yeah, the, but, the Brits love it. They no, it's it the will. sense of the empire. Yeah, but the younger ones, like Harry, seems quite middle class to me. Yeah. It, it, and it is a thing because I the, the only arist- aristocrats I knew were Gareth Brown, like mm-hmm. you know. And the, when you look at that family, something and you look at the generations going down, like I. So Tara, who I wrote the book about, his son Dorian uh, is kind of the last generation in that aristocratic family who is what you know. I mean, there's a pejorative term, but the idle rich, like, you mm. know, he, he doesn't really do, he doesn't work like I work or you work or you work. Like he, he lives off a, off a trust fund, but his children are, are studying to be doctors and they're the, they're going to be the first middle-class yeah. members of the family, Working. you know, and they'll be middle-class like, you know, and, and, and it's, um, and it happened, it, you know, they are going out. The aristocracy are, are yeah, disappearing, are. Yeah. like, you know. They're, they're, and it will happen in all... It has to, you know. Um, they have the civil list, which they, you know, it allows the royal family to become, to be idlers. But they, they, the younger royals don't really seem anything like, you know, the toffee nose royals. Like mm. Actually, Charles seems quite middle class to me. Charles has always seemed very middle class. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think I met Andrew once actually in a bar in <laughs> in <laughs> in Abu Dhabi. Uh, <laughs> I was staying in a hotel in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I went to see 
Iran were playing against the United Arab Emirates and it was a match to decide who we got in the playoff oh, for right. World Cup in 2002 so it was in 2001 yeah <clears throat> it was just after September 11 you were covering that were you? yeah so it was about four weeks after the Afghan war started Jesus yeah and so it was kind of scary to be in the region but I was in the hotel bar and Andrew was in there and uh, yeah I had a pint with him yeah did you? yeah yeah, yeah. Was, he, was he a nice bloke? yeah just the two he's like Oh, there's loads of people there, you know. Well, he's kind of chatting. So, what are you doing here? And you know, set a point, and he'd cut a couple of bodyguards with him. Yeah. He's there with a couple of Irish reporters, and we had a point with him, and yeah. it's great, you know. Look, at the end of the day, these people are just human beings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Human beings to have nice, healthy bank balances <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> but look, JP McManus is probably <laughs> richer than them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, fair point. As richer than That's them. But, yeah, I mean, it's the figurehead thing as well, isn't it, mm. you know? But I, I don't know, I, it, Britain, who knows how that's going to end with Brexit and everything, you know? Oh, I mean, I was convinced, I was convinced it wouldn't happen, that something, something would change. I There'd still... There'd be a second vote or something, yeah. but I don't know anymore, like, I, I just... I don't think they know, though, do they? No. no. Well, I no. think, I think, what, what, Tuesday is the vote? That's when yeah. It's, yeah, and she's going to lose that. She's going to lose that, I think... Either she's going to have to walk or she'll ultimately be pushed, I think. So what happens yeah. if she walks? Well, well if she walks, it, it creates a leadership thing, a uh, crisis for Well, then you, you, if she walks, then the likes of Gove and Johnson have to step forward. Exactly. Think, you know, it's like, it, it will be a case Will there be of, a new mandate for a new idea. referendum then? No. No, because the problem with a new, a new referendum is th- there's no guarantee that it'll produce a clear-cut yeah. result. Like, it'll still be 48-52, so then do you do the best of three? Mm. And the other thing is, like, Labour are split on it, and the Tories are split on it, so there's no, there's, like, there's no party saying, we want to stay in Europe. Yeah. You know, Corbyn, Corbyn wants out. You know, Theresa May didn't want out, but she's actually having to negotiate yeah. the exit that she doesn't actually believe in. It's a sorry mess, and, and the saddest thing is, it, it's all... It's all been engineered by uh, incredibly wealthy people who aren't going to have a single bad day ever in their lives. Like rich people like Boris Johnson, who, you know, he'll never have a bad day. And, you know, poor people who, you know, there's parts of England where that were destroyed by Thatcherism and... You've got people there who've never worked and their fathers have never worked and their grandparents have never worked. And, and there's nothing for them. And because they're disillusioned, it's easy to use just to create hate figures and to say it's their, it's their fault, right? So it's immigrants in that case. You know, the reason yeah. your life is shit is because there's loads of immigrants here and they believe that. And it is weird that people like Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, these Etonians, like, you mm. know, just <clears throat> posh boys, have actually... They all go to Eton, have, did they? Yeah, they all did, yeah. yeah. And they, I mean, even Labour leaders go to Eton now, you know. Mm. Um, and they, they, they've led the working classes of England to this, over this cliff edge, you that's know. What, that's the, said, the kind of hypocrisy of it that yeah. I don't get from, say, the working class. Yeah, what have, the Tor- what have these Tories ever done Nothing. For, for towns like Sunderland, Hull, Liverpool, Sheffield, Sheffield, yeah. nothing. Just absolutely raped them of anything that was good in the town. Like took the took the mines out. Like took employment out. Closed factories down. Uh, you know, 
criminalised the youth, just destroyed these towns, these cities. <coughs> and then Boris Johnson, another tough, is, you know, he's, he's I mean, he's just, you know, playing out He's some, a parody though, isn't he? Yeah, but he's playing out some Churchill like fantasy. But he thinks, yeah. he's Church, he thinks he's Churchill-like, you know? He thinks he's the reincarnation of Winston Churchill. And he's got all these things that these, you know, people don't often talk about the, the you know, the, the kind of more... Uh, shit side of Churchill. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> there is the, only a shit side though. Yeah, well, I mean, ah. there's, a, there's a good side to Churchill. I mean, you know, uh, you know, overruling, overruling the cabinet who wanted to, to do a deal with Hitler in 41. I mean, you know, he the, the, you can't say he was all bad. I mean, he... You know, but there was a lot of bad about Churchill. But he had lots of really, really outdated ideas, and he had this notion that um, Britain still had a role, essentially still had an empire. You know, and uh, couldn't kind of accept that th- those colonial days were gone. Yeah. It was over. Mm-hmm. And Johnson. Still, That's what we're back to now, though, isn't it? Yeah, I, I met a I met a, a, a um, peregrine wars torn a few years ago. And he just happened to be married to somebody I was interviewing him. And she said to me, go on to the kitchen. Perry's in there. And I went in. It was Peregrine Warstone, who used to edit the Daily Telegraph. Right. So he he would have been, you know, a, a sort of Boris Johnson would have kind of looked up to him like, you know, and mm. he, he was this really, really uh, traditionalist, conservative with a capital C, empire loving uh, uh, Telegraph editor. And... Uh, we start having a conversation in the kitchen. He started telling me about uh, uh, this idea he has of recolonization, which essentially means uh, he, I think his his view was that Britain has had pulled out of the colonies. Uh, they'd given the independence of their colonies too quickly, and they should have done it on a phased basis, like the lease back of Hong Kong. Mm. But because you had all these uprisings in like Kenya with the Mau Mau and everything, they just they just mm. ran from these places. And he, he, he and several friends believed, or several fellow travellers believed, that Britain should go back into these places and that they had a role to play in, you know, in civilising these countries, you know, which hadn't had a good day since Britain left, essentially, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm forgetting the role that they actually played in them not having a yeah, good exactly. day since, Real since them. then, you know. So... But that those the, the, those stupid those stupid notions of Englishness still exist, you know. Yeah, they yeah. they do, and you, you know all it takes is the England team to be doing well in the World Cup, you mm. know, and then it comes Next out. Next you want the British Empire back. Yeah, I heard Martin Tyler when England beat Spain, and what to me is just a souped-up friendly a few weeks ago. Martin Tyler referring to the boys of Betis. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The boys of Betis. But they're, they're just on a war footing all the time. They can't, they can't enjoy something without you know, seeing it as... You were mentioning Sunderland there as a city because Sky News went to Sunderland to a pub when England were doing well in the World Cup and they spoke to a guy. I just, I just found the whole scenario just made me think. Like the guy drinking a pint of Guinness from Sunderland, how do you think England are going to do? We're going to win the World Cup and then we're going to take back the Empire. Yeah, and then yeah. a shot to the next person. I was just like... Work, it goes yeah, back yeah. to your point about working class. Yeah, yeah. You're being led on by. You're be, you've been duped. 
Yeah, you've, you've been, been duped, duped by the same by a class party. that don't care about you. And in '79, when Thatcher got in, she just wrote off large areas of England that didn't vote yeah. Conservative and said, "We don't need to worry about those areas." She said, "There's no such thing as society. We're just here to serve our voters," and destroyed these cities. But the idea that they would see a savior in somebody like Boris Johnson is just, you know, mind blowing. It's mind blowing. But then we've had something. Something similar here with this Peter Casey thing. Yeah, I was going to say, you know? what, what, do you, what did you make of all that? Well, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing new in what he's done. Like, you know, what, what, <clears throat> it's exactly the same thing that, that Trump did. You identify the fact that there are, there's a significant constituency of unhappy people, but largely silent people out there. And you look for uh, something that will wake them up. And usually what you do is, look, Hitler did it as well. You, you, you pick a, uh, a marginalised group of people and you hate on them and you bring out the worst, uh, the worst qualities in people, you know, that, that darkness, that, that part of people that actually wants to hate people who are different. And Peter Casey did that, you know. Do you think with, he did it Trump intentionally? Did it with, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Trump did it with Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, you just, you create this fear that there are, you know, tens of thousands of Mexicans marching on your border who, who want to rape your wife or your yeah. daughter. Like, and that's what, that, in crude terms, that's what Trump did. He, he hasn't talked about the migrant caravan once since the midterm elections. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, yeah. And it's mad, isn't it? And Casey did the same. Yeah. Hey, you know, talking about travellers, in that way, you know, that, that um, they're not an ethnicity and um, <clears throat> just stoking up prejudices, you know. Um, but did, did, did people, people, I've seen people on Twitter and Facebook or whatever, and people were kind of going, based on what he was saying about travellers, right? Mm-hmm. People were saying, he gets my vote, he's telling the truth. Yeah. Based yeah. on one thing. Yeah. And and you know that like so so people I, I read quite a lot of the Twitter stuff because I I I mean I generally don't get involved in political in, stuff in political stuff. Well, I, I certainly don't get involved in arguing with people about politics mm. on Twitter, like you know. But um, I I mean I just tweeted. I said I I really like I grew up in Ballybrack and travellers were our friends and they were our teammates when we played football and they weren't allowed to go to the local school because. Uh, the priest took a case to the high court to stop them going to the local school, you know. And I, I actually, I just tweeted that I thought we'd left shite like that behind. I thought that was the Ireland of thirty years ago. The irony of a priest, like about humanity and stuff. Yeah, and Christian spirit and all that kind of thing. I mean, nonsense. You know, it, it certainly, it certainly wasn't a very Christian thing to do. You do you know? think that was happening in parishes all over the country? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and, the, you know, the council at that time, the thinking at the time was that they could they could kind of train the urge to travel out of travellers. Like, this was, you know, they tried everything before they, they settled on the Holt site programme. And, you know, there's still issues with the Holt site programme because people don't want to live beside halting sites. Yeah. And, um, but, they, but at that time it was, if we put them in houses their children might discover that they actually like houses. But the problem was that, you know, they, they you know, while we, we were friends with them, 
they were shunned by the school, you know, that they, they weren't allowed to actually sit beside us in class, you know, for, you know, disgusting reasons. Like, you know, I remember at that time people were saying, oh, you know, our kids will get nits off them. And um, and that's what upset me about the Peter Casey thing, because I, I thought that that shite was gone. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't, we, people thought like that anymore. But it's easy when you, I mean, it is, it's one of those scabs that when you pick it, you know, people, it's just interesting what comes out of people, you know. So when I tweeted that, people were telling me about, oh, my house was broken into, my car was broken into. My house is, I've been burgled three times in my life, once by travellers and twice by settled people. And I remember when I was burgled by travellers, I thought I've been burgled by travellers. But when I was burgled by settled people, I never said I was burgled by settled people. And mm. that's the thing. And there's, there's good and there's bad in in both communities, you know? Absolutely. And um, it was... Uh, Do you think there's a significance to the amount of people that voted? Well, he, he, he increased his vote tenfold. I mean, that is massive. I mean, that people are saying, well, he still came in a, a distant second, but, you know, when, when in politics in Ireland, they, they, they carry out opinion polls and they're published in the Sunday newspapers. And if somebody goes up 2%, uh, it, you know, yeah. in a party, or down 2%, it's panic stations, you know? This guy went from from being the last in the race and a joke candidate to having a significant constituency out there of a few hundred thousand people, you know, of voters, um, just by just by talking in 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 hateful terms about uh, about the travelling community, um, and I just think that's really worrying, you know, um, that that you know just by talking in that way you can you can actually draw those sort of dark feelings. Talking in hate, you can get popular yeah um we're running out of time but before we let you head off um because despite the conversation so far this evening lads it is pretty much christmas yeah so uh <laughs> is there uh, a christmas film paul that you will be slapping on to you'll be getting the vhs out yeah and sticking it on of course i will it's the one he always bloody tweets about what's that love actually yeah no no i won't i don't, I don't yeah, no no, no I, I love actually Crap. is a fun film <laughs> To watch, but it gets worse every time you watch it, right? <laughs> gets worse. Actually, every time you watch it, you notice something else that's even more ridiculous. How did I notice that before? I was watching it last year. I watch it every year, you know, but I was watching it last year. And there's a great scene in it where uh, uh, Liam Neeson is talking to the sister. Uh, who, what's her name? Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. And she says, oh, what's wrong with you? And he says, oh, yeah, she, the young lad is really upset. You know, don't know what's wrong. That's a Scottish accent. Right? <laughs> it's a great <laughs> Scottish accent. It's Billy Connolly. It's Billy Connolly. The young guy is really upset. I don't know what's wrong. The wee bonnie lad. So he says, uh, he's very upset. I don't know what it is. That's and, a good name, isn't And then you think, hang on. His mother died yesterday. You were just at the funeral, like, you know? Yeah. That might be why he's upset, you know? And it turns out he's upset because of the girl, you know, because he fancies this girl. But his mother only died two days ago. You think, well, you know, did he seem a bit funny to you at the funeral? Yeah, he did a bit. Yeah, well, you better flip and cheer up because he'd be out in the road. Like <laughs> yeah. But so, anyway, that gets worse every time I watch it. But uh, Mary and I watch a film every Christmas uh, called The Family Stone. And it's good. And it's my, it's Mary's favorite Christmas film, and it's become my favorite Christmas film because it's about uh, a family 
have to be careful not to. My nickname at home is Spoiler Alert, like, you know, because <laughs> I'm always ruining films, like, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, was, I came home from, a, from uh, the usual suspects and went, oh, I don't want to tell you anything about it, but Kevin Spacey is amazing as Kaiser Sosie. <laughs> so, so I have to be careful. Like, so, but anyway, it's essentially about uh, a family at Christmas time and they're a shouty family and it's all the all the tensions and the it, this guy doesn't like his the the brother's girlfriend and this guy likes the brother's girlfriend a bit too much and that relationship's a bit rocky and they're screaming at each other and killing each other and they love each other very much and and it's it's really funny and it's absolutely kicking the gut sad at the end but it's uh it it just reminds me of kind of my family Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like big family Christmases. Yeah, for that, for sparks and rows and just characters and, like and yeah, and what might be said, you know, might what you know around the table and all that yeah. kind of thing. So I love the family sounds. So I'll definitely be watching. That. How will you look back on the year? Like not personally, but like say culturally or socially uh, or fucking hell, man. You're yeah. mad for the heavy questions. Good tonight, or bad? Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, good and bad, like you know. Like every other year, you know, like, I, you know, I thought, I, I thought the repeal thing was great. Like I thought, uh, you know, we, we shut, we shut a door on that Ireland, that old Ireland, you mm. know, but then, you know, when I, when I see the, this, the Peter Casey thing, it just, that really depresses me because I kind of hope because we're, we're you know, we're, we are being seen as a, amazingly as a, as a beacon of, of, enlightenment in Europe now you know in yeah. that we do, we actually have we've got a gay T-shock and we've got you know a Trotskyist president and <laughs> you know and we have peace you know and our experience with uh, immigrants integrating into Ireland has been very largely positive you know and we've got prosperity again so to see a politician uh you know, a populist politician, like every country in the world practically now has a Trump, has a version of Trump, and to see one actually getting a purchase here, mm. I, I, I find that really, uh, really depressing, you know, and, and doing it by just that old fashioned thing of creating a bogeyman, you know, mm -hmm. creating, creating somebody to hate, creating an enemy for people, you know, and uh, so that, that depresses me. But I, what's really good about, what's really great about Ireland actually is we have a young, uh, very tolerant population, and I hope, uh, I hope that Casey thing is as high as he goes. Like I hope that's the end of that now. <coughs> when he, when I, he goes I, to Newstock, um, I, I think you're right. I think it is a tolerant. Um, it's getting more and more tolerant. But I live and hope that we can one day have a society that's uh, willing to tolerate fairy tale New York being played at a summer barbecue. I was wondering where you were going. It's like you're taking, telling me about being deep. <laughs> I'm trying to bring a bit of fucking levity here. What, what have you got coming up next year? Um, we're bringing back uh, Postcards from the Ledge. Yes. Uh, the Ross play. It's a one-man show. And so that's going to the, the pavilion in Dunleary. But we're taking it to Cork, Limerick and Galway. Brilliant. And the reason we did a one-man show was we wanted to be able to tour around the country. When you do, a, the other Ross plays have all been sort of six or seven-handers, and it's quite expensive to mm. move six actors around, put them in hotels and everything. So that's in February. So that's actually going to happen quite quickly after Christmas. We're going back into rehearsals with that. 
and then uh, Copperface Jackson the musical is coming back in July, um, which I'm really excited about because uh, it's it's uh, it was so enjoyable. I mean, it's kind of the highlight of the year for me, like from a personal point of view, was Copperface yeah. Jackson the musical because we had so much fun with it. It happened really quickly. I mean, it was only we only started in March, you know, and. So there's a lot of started writing right in the March yeah. of this wow. year. March of this year, yeah. Fuck off. Yeah, we went to the rehearsals. And the I went there first in, week it was in June. July. Yeah. So That's some it was, turnaround. It was quite tight, you know. So I was talking to Paul Woodfull, who's one of the the musicians, one of the compu- one of the two composers of the songs, and we were chatting the other day about songs we want to change certain notes and I want to change some of the lyrics and and this happens with all musicals. Paul worked on Aikino and he said you know, every time they brought it back, yeah, there was a they new, tightened it, yeah. tightened it. And, uh, and so we're kind of doing the, like when you see a show on Broadway, for instance, it's usually toured, like the Book of Mormon, for instance, that toured uh, America's small theatres for about two years before they actually brought to Broadway. Right. And it was, they were finessing it the whole time, tightening right. the jokes and all that kind of thing. So we're, we've a bit of that to do now, between now and the summer. So People who saw it the first time round, I hope we'll still love it, but there will be elements of it that are different and better, I hope, and tighter. So I'll have to go and see it again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Have <laughs> never heard that song the first time round? What a show, though. It's brilliant. Thanks very much. So yeah. the Postcards to the Ledge and Copperface Muse. Copperface Jacks, yeah. And TV Wires or anything? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a couple of projects at the moment. Um, TV wise, you know, I'm doing something for England that I'm not really allowed to talk about, you know. Um, oh. And uh, I Why did. Why are you always going to the tans? The tans. I'm see, only joking. I'm only joking. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to get that in. Well, see, they take Sterling and the banks here. You know. <laughs> 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 you employ the boy selling out. He's going to BBC Three. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, listen, joking. don't you start. If the Beeb came a calling. Oh, I take the stairs. You would take the Queen's. Well, the is, right, when I went to Penguin, I moved, I was with a small, uh, well, actually a large Irish publisher, but small in an international context mm. called the O'Brien Press, and yeah. they published the first four Ross books, and they were great, and they still are a great publisher. But when I moved to um, when I when I moved to Penguin, uh, an English company, I was accused of seeing the pound signs. Really? <laughs> 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 They'd be right though, wouldn't they? Are you joking? No, because they pay me in euros. They just pay me. <laughs> Just paid me a lot more than the O'Brien Press paid me. You what know? was that TV thing that you wanted to tell us about? <laughs> what are you it's a good effort. It was a good yeah. effort. So you're busy anyway for next year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping next year. The um, I've written a script for the Tara Brown movie as well. Oh, brilliant! Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, that's a big um, one now. There's a, a big holy shit. Yeah, yeah. A big uh, production company bought the rights and they commissioned me to write the script this year. So I did that, and I'm hoping. Uh, you never take anything for granted in in movies because yeah, you yeah. know there's there's so many things have to happen for for something to get made mm. even television movies and everything but uh, they're really excited about Fucking it I'm hell. really excited about it. they've got you know one big name in mind uh, so far and she really loves the script so I'm hoping what's her name again I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Holy good. shit, Paul, well, that's unreal. You asked me in a very, uh, uh, in a, the kind of way that almost lulled me into telling you. <laughs> but that's well, unbelievable. All, all I can say Fair is, play. all I can say is, Sears for Ronan look great at the premiere. Yeah, so would we. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know you'll be at the premiere, yes. you know. 
<laughs> we had the red yeah. carpet. It's the Blackers reckon they got. He's just leaving out to be where the Premier is a chipper and monks town. <laughs> no, no, you know, be a, be a royal command performance. <laughs> And, uh, Sorry, Valen, watch me here. The Queen, the que- you'll be in the lineup for the Queen. Yeah. Did I end up here? <laughs> That'd be an ultimate prank, wouldn't it? Merlo would do the O'Gara, hands in the pockets, yeah. straight away, just sulky head. I'm in a wheelchair, I can't shake hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's unreal. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, wish, I, I hope that that comes now because that, the book was fucking unbelievable. Like, it oh, really thanks was. Thanks very much, Danny. Yeah, it, it's it's my pride and joy. Like mm. you know, it's it's the one. It's you know if I was to if I was to pick one thing in my my professional life that I'm proudest of it's that it's that book yeah. you know it, like it, um, it it genuinely opened up a world because I I had no idea who the Brown family were like yeah and to the I, I enjoyed that book and like I read other stuff on from that then to the point where when when Garrick passed away I was like oh, there's a character that yeah. will you yeah. know and, the end and we met him. Yeah, well, that's you really, met him yeah, at the, 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 the shop. Yeah, I was talking to him, didn't you? Yeah. I'd just yeah. seen Ponytail and I was like, that is, he's great. Yeah, I talked to him for about 30 seconds a minute, yeah. but mm-hmm. I, I, I'll always remember. You'd love the Guinnesses because, like, they, they were one of them families, you know, that, that, that actually were able to be British and Irish at exactly the same time <laughs> because they, they were one of those families that you know, went back to a time when there wasn't really any distinction, you know, right. mm. when the aristocracy ran Ireland and, um, and, uh, and, he, and he was incredibly, pre- like the thing about him, you know, they're, they're, you would sort of look at them and say, well, they're a British family, but actually his Irish roots go way further back than mine. Like we're Howards, we're from Norfolk and we can probably only trace our Irish ancestry about back about four generations, I'd say. Mm. He can trace his back, you know, 15, 16 generations, that's like, unreal, you know. Um, but it's kind of sad. That's the saddest thing this year for me was 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 Gareth, like, losing Gareth. And was, was that expected? Or was no, he sicker? I mean, well, I mean, it was expected um, in the sense that, uh, you know, he, he, he lived his life, you know, yeah. and he didn't, it wasn't a particularly healthy life he lived, you know. He was... He was a drinker and, you know, he'd had a few spells in hospital and, you know, I suppose he'd had lots of warnings, but he died very suddenly. Like it was a, he died of a heart attack, you know, and um, he, uh, it's funny, I met Nicholas Gormanston, who was his great pal, his best friend in London. Uh, Viscount Gormanston is his mm. title, like, you know, so they were, they were Gormanston Castle wow. um, people. But but like that, the the money all ran out of the family, you know. Right. So so he's just left with this viscount title, and um, but he was with him uh, when he died in the restaurant in London. Like it was just just around the corner from um, from Sloane Square, this nice restaurant in Chelsea that Gareth loved. And he said to me at the mass up in or up at the ashes scattering up at Lugalaw, he said to me. People keep asking me, you know, what his final words were, expecting them to be really profound. He said, he stood up in the restaurant and he said, the lamb was fucking awful. <laughs> and, then he, and then he died, you know. Shut up. But the funny thing is, one of Garrett's friends, um, Mary Finnegan, who's a CNN uh, correspondent in Ireland, she's Irish from Dorky. She was saying afterwards, she said, that's just so appropriate because she said, every time I ever went out to dinner with him, he always asked for lamb and then was disappointed by it. And she said it was almost like he, he had great lamb when he was like eight or something. And he spent his whole life trying, trying to, get, trying to have get good lamb. lamb again, but never ever felt it. She said he always complained about the lamb afterwards. 
and uh, but he was such a great character like you know it was mm. um I, I i was asked to speak at the at the ashes scattering well, which was oh, well, like yeah. such it's a been an honor such an honor like because i was kind of one of his newer friends and he always told you that you know you're one of my new friends like and he was one of the lovely things about gareth he never considered himself too old to make new friends you know yeah. and, and a lot of people as they get older they kind of close themselves off to meeting people of other generations and gareth never ever did you know and um so i was telling the story we we're talking about travelers a second ago i was telling the story earlier about being in a pub i was telling the story to someone the other day about being in a pub with gareth and um the it was up in the roundwood inn uh, up in up in roundwood and wicklow and uh, we we're having lunch and a big gang of travelers came into the pub you know and the atmosphere tightened in the pub you could actually feel you just feel the atmosphere tighten and Gareth, uh, Gareth starts shouting, uh, who are you? Who are you across the pub, you know? So the boss man uh, sort of steps forward and says, uh, uh, what's that? And he said, Gareth said, what family are you? He said, oh, we're, war we're the wards. And he said, oh, are you the Mayo wards or the Galway wards? So he says, we're the Mayo wards. Ah, I knew your grandfather. He, your grandfather was Johnny Ward, the blind piper of Castle Bar. And he says, no, that was my great-grandfather, right? <laughs> Are you so, actually having uh, a laugh? No, no, this happened, right? So, so he says, oh, do you play the pipes? He says, I do, I have to. He said, the pipes in the van. So he says, well, come to the house, come to the house, right? So this is, this was, this is how a day would, would pass with Gareth, right? And he's invited Pierce Brosnan down to the house in the afternoon and the mayor of the, the, the Estonian ambassador to Ireland, right? And then a couple of poets, right? And he thinks, what could enliven this gathering better than some travellers <laughs> playing the pipes, right? And this is just this is how beautifully inclusive Gareth was, like, you know, so... This is all at one time. Yeah, yeah. So this day started at 10 in the morning with a glass of champagne. And then it's, oh, I've inv I forgot I invited Pierce Brosnan for lunch and, and the Estonian ambassador, you know, and a couple of poets. I invited him in the afternoon so we're up there having lunch and then we're all back in the house and he's got this beautiful drawing room like you know like stunning drawing room and you know big couches and a roaring fire and then it's woo we're doing this like pipe music playing and so the words know, were there yeah 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 back to the house you know and and it was great and it, and it was a memorable Amazing. a really really memorable day and that's how I remember Gareth like you know just making friends and enemies actually because he had a vicious tongue like you know you can, <laughs> well he's making friends over here he's insulting somebody <laughs> over the other side of the room but that's just that's how he went through life you and know? when he approached the travellers was, there was no confront they, they didn't take it as confrontational as he no, approached no, them no it's very natural because Gareth Gareth spent a lot of time um, around travellers in the west of Ireland, right. you know, he used to go to a lot of uh, the Flacioles, and, and um, so he would be, he would know how to talk to travellers, you know, he mm. wouldn't, he wouldn't be, um, he wouldn't talk to them with all the kind of handling devices that middle class people might you know, talk to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Just talk to them as people. You're just That's, people. You're just a people. You're a piper, like you know. Yeah. Why wouldn't I want you in my in my house playing the pipes? And um, that's a great story to end that's on. That's amazing. It is. It is. That's unreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but that's Gareth, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, 
Paul, thank you, as Pleasure. always. Pleasure. Oh, yeah. Christmas wouldn't be Christmas if I didn't yeah, well, this, yeah, yeah. At this stage. Yeah. See you next year. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas and, to you as well. And, and listen, the, and the Merry... podcast, I love the podcast. It's just, ah, it's an absolute joy when it pops up in my uh, in my Twitter timeline. Um, I, I can't wait to get ah, to thanks. listen that's, to it, you know. That's and nice. Yeah, thank you. I listened to every one this year, so, you know. Geez, there were some bad ones in there. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> They're always great, like, you know. They're always great. Last I could listen week, to the yeah. two of you all day, like, so. The Graveyard, yeah, last week. Yeah, that one was a topsy-turvy probably haven't event. got that one yet. Yeah, Jesus. We didn't put it on Twitter, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, you wouldn't have seen it. Oh man. Anyway. anyway. Um, going home to listen to that now. <laughs> you, will, you will never, ever hear somebody struggle as much. Paul will tweet us saying he loved the watch. No, no matter what, yeah. And draw everyone's attention to it. Yeah. yeah. And he's writing a screenplay about it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, Jenny, thanks again and all the best with Postcards from the Ledge to kicking off the tour and Copper Face Jacks the musical coming back. And um, thanks again for my Ballybrack football club jersey. Oh, I will no, wear yeah. it with pride. That's my dad home. now. My dad so, gave you that. Tell your dad I said thanks very much. We gave it to you on behalf of my dad. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and up the brack. And I hope the, the Ballybrack seniors kick on now and have a great That'd season. Be great. They got promoted. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, you can check out all the previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast, Probably Podcast Addict. We're on Spotify now, Mero. You and uh, WTSPod.com. You can tweet him at Merigamania, um, and I'd appreciate if you could tweet him mostly abuse. Um, <laughs> it would certainly make my day, and uh, it'll keep me going through the hard hours. Of I don't react to the haters. He says that. <laughs> he says that, but he screen grabs them and sends them to me, being, "Are you behind this?" <laughs> All the time. Yeah, and, and usually it is me. Yeah. I've organised some Russian bot to just abuse them for days. I've had like a hundred Russian bots follow me on Instagram. I know, it cost me 20 really? quid. Yeah. Cost you 20? Is, is that your prank, is it? No. I'd never spend money on you, Meryl. Um, lads, it has been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Fitzpatrick Castle. It's great to be back up here and actually doing this in person rather than over Skype. Um, might do a few more ideas actually because I've enjoyed it. So, anyway. Meryl. Yes. See you later. Here it is. Full arts. And Lewis. Too sweet. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys.